Jeff Gluck, and today it is a How I Got Here version of the podcast with Dave Alpern, who is the president of Joe Gibbs Racing. It's pretty cool that he was willing to do this. I got some feedback recently that said, hey, you know, you might want to mix it up a little bit. You've done some PR people lately, marketing people. Let's hear from somebody else. So guess what? We have a team president. Now, Dave Alpern was at Joe Gibbs Racing and then took over the president role when J.D. Gibbs began having his health issues. As you know, he's been battling a brain condition for several years now and is no longer able to be in control of things at Joe Gibbs Racing, which has required others like Dave to step up, and we will talk about that in the podcast. So I sat down with Dave at Texas Motor Speedway recently on race day. So have a listen to our conversation for this week's How I Got Here feature. All right, everybody. I'm here with Dave Alpern. Dave, thank you so much for doing <laughs> this. I'm really excited that you want to do it. Well, I'm, I, I've I've enjoyed reading them uh, and following your podcast. I'm also excited that we're indoors because uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very cold in Texas this weekend. Yeah, but, it's uh, very chilly out there. So we're like this is like a fireside chat. Yeah, it in is. Here. It is. We yeah. it, minus the fire, but it does feel like it. I appreciate. It. We'll pretend this lamp is a yeah, lamp. exactly. Um, so. Um, I know you uh, from your role at Joe Gibbs Racing, but I don't know anything really about your backstory. I'm going into this totally blind, yeah, well, so I'm excited to hear <laughs> your journey. So, um, you know, how did this begin for you? How did this whole thing start? Well, so I grew up outside of D.C. in Northern Virginia, um, and uh, actually J.D. Gibbs and I have been best friends since seventh grade. No so way. we went to intermediate school and high school together. We went off to different colleges and... Uh, J.D. was on kind of the five-and-a-half-year plan, and I got done a little bit early. I was on the four-and-a-half-year plan, so his dad was starting this race team um, when we were getting out of college, and I got out first, and they needed cheap labor, so <laughs> I was an unpaid intern, believe it or not. Um, I actually started college as an electrical engineering major until I realized I was really bad at math and science, which are, <laughs> which are two key components to being an engineer. My dad was an engineer, but... I hadn't bothered to take a personality profile, which would have said, you're going to be a horrible engineer. So that lasted a year. I got my degree actually in um, communications to be a broadcast. I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. I wanted to be a really a, my dream was to be a sports center anchor when I was in high, in, uh, high school and college. And okay. obviously I failed at that as well. <laughs> uh, so I finished college right as coach was starting a NASCAR team. And I, he asked if I would help for six months. And I said, man, that'll look great on my resume. It'll be great experience. And I, I just had this hunch. Everything coach does turns to gold. So I wanna, I'm going to hitch my wagon to him for my first gig. And so I literally moved to Charlotte. And then me and, and J.D. and another guy, Todd Meredith, we were all three recent college graduates. We lived in an apartment together. And we went to work at this startup race team. We had 15 employees. We had no idea what we were doing. And when I say that, I'm talking about, we, we were, I mean, we were put stickers on cars. We were booking hotel rooms. And I speak to college students a lot. And I tell them to give you a perspective of, it, it, it dates us. When I, when I started, this is pre, forget cell phones. It was pre-email. So I didn't, wow. there, you weren't emailing people. So I had a, I always joke, um, 
I got put in a broom closet. They didn't have, have anywhere to put me. <laughs> so they literally emptied out a broom closet and had to run an extension cord in there for a lamp because there was no plugs in a broom <laughs> closet. And I had like a little, like an elementary school desk is all they had room for and a chair and a lamp and a phone. Of course, I had, I mean, who's I going to call? I had nobody to call. <laughs> Maybe a hotel on occasion. And kind of that's how it started. It was about as you know, <laughs> it was about as unglamorous as you could think. And so, uh, we just made it up, you know. You had no, um, not only did you not have any experience, but did you have no racing uh, idea about NASCAR? So, yeah, I had an uncle who I grew up with who I had a big, uh, my uncle Jimmy, he's passed away many years ago, but uh, he used to take me to, so Dover and Richmond we would go to when I was growing up. Okay. And um, I was a, I was a number 88 Daryl Waltrip fan when I was a little uh, wow. in the Gatorade car, and I had t-shirts and stuff from that, but I wasn't what you would call a big fan. I just was aware of NASCAR, and, um, you know, we would... Um, spend more time wandering around the grandstands and the the, the uh, just the area around the track than we did watching the race. But so I had some familiarity with it, but I was by no means a NASCAR fan. Nor did I, you know, one day say, "Hey, I want to work in NASCAR." Um, for me, it was more about the who than the what. In other words, it was I was teaming up with the Gibbs family. They mm-hmm. could have been selling coat hangers and it wouldn't have mattered to me. I was like, hey, I just, I believe in what they're about and, and want to be with them. The fact that it ended up being in NASCAR is kind of a bonus, you know, um, it's a lot more fun than coat hangers, but, but I'm glad that that's the business they were in, but I had no aspirations to do that at all. So how did it evolve over the years? Because if, if that was the case and it sounds like everything had to be <laughs> self-taught, uh, you know, learning by experience, how did it evolve from you know, starting out and not knowing anything to getting to where you are at this point. I have no idea. No, (laughs) seriously. So it's, it's, um, you know, it really is. I mean, we have a sign in our lobby that talks about how we want everything that happens in our company to be evident that there's direct intervention of God. And, and I, I would say our whole history is that way. I mean, I never forget sitting at our first championship in 2000 when Bobby Labonte won and we're sitting at the table and, it's JD and his wife and Todd and his wife and me and, and, and some others. And we kind of literally looked around and go, this is a miracle. We just won. We just beat the best teams in the world and won a chance. Are, are you kidding? If people only knew, we have no yeah. idea what we're doing. It's like, we don't know what we're doing. You know, um, now I'm speaking for me. We had a, fortunately we had a lot of people who did know what they were doing um, back in those, in those days, you know, with Makar and, and coach. But um, for me, honestly, when we were small, you kind of had to do everything. You know, now as you get bigger, we have 600 people, but there, you know, we didn't, um, you know, we brought in Chris Heline as an example uh, many years ago to, to run all of our communications and our PR, and he came with Joe from the Redskins. But for 15 years prior to him, we didn't have anyone in that department. Um, I was the I was the licensing. Joe called me the T-shirt guy. For many years, I was the T-shirt guy, and that was what we did. And now we've got, you know, JJ, who's an expert and who came from NHL and NASCAR. And But I think for me, I literally have done every job in the front office. And so for me it now, it, it enables me to relate to those people, to, to um, remember what it was like when we didn't have a department or um, most of my counterparts do not come from a marketing background. Some of them are attorneys. Some of them come from the competition side. Most of them are smarter than me in a lot of areas. But I view the world in NASCAR from a sponsor and a fan's eyes because that's how I um, I use this example for, for probably 20 years of my career when I mentioned there was Todd Meredith and there was myself and there was JD. Um, 
Todd was our chief operating officer, and probably 95% of his job was internally focused inside the company, operations people. For me, for 20 years, 95% of my job was externally focused. So in other words, I was sponsors, media, um, the community, my counterparts, tracks. So um, I was, not that I didn't know what was going on in the building, but that, and then JD kind of hovered between the two of us. And, and so for me in the last, you know, three or four years, um, as I've expanded my role, what's been the biggest change has been focusing inside the building and going to competition meetings and worrying, you know, and that's, and we can talk about that, but that's probably the hardest part is I'm just wired where, you know, when I come to the racetrack, my tendency is immediately I'm wanting to go talk to other people, sponsors, the the track, you know, I went to went to dinner with Marcus the other night. I'm thinking of just the people in the ecosystem of the of racing because that's just how I was brought up. But that's a long way of saying having done almost every job in the front office on the business side, I think it, again, it has equipped me um, to be able to, again, I I can relate to every single person because I know what it's like to, whether it's booking hotel rooms or running the show cars or doing the, you know, um, the social media, you know, or what have you. Wow. That's really interesting because yeah. it's like, you know, uh, there, there could be jobs where, you know, the boss, you think, oh my gosh, they don't, they don't, they're not in touch with what the employees are doing and, yeah. and the employees are, are resentful because so they're like, oh, this guy, he doesn't know what they're talking about. He hasn't been in this role, but since you've been in all those roles, you're coming from it like I've yeah. done this job. Now I'm I'm yeah. doing I'm asking you to do something that yeah. I've actually done. Well, they do say that on the competition side. Oh. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, I'm sure I'm sure they do. I just kind of sit there and go, hey, uh, let's make sure we go fast. Okay, okay, thanks. <laughs> hey, keep doing, keep keep pushing the accelerator, keep going fast. And I mean, the, hey, the one thing is funny over the years that I have learned, and this comes from Coach. Everything we do is predicated on one thing, and that's winning and going fast. And so when we make decisions, literally, I mean, I can tell you, over the years, particularly in the early days, the question was always, is this going to make us go faster? So if it was a financial decision or a capital purchase, you would ask the question, does this make us go fast? And if it doesn't, we probably weren't going to do it. We joke, we didn't have a sign out front of our building for over 10 years because it was going to be too expensive and it didn't make us go fast. And we said, let's just use the money on something else. And so we're in the competition business. And so at its core, you could be great at everything, but if you're not leading laps and winning races, you're not going to be around. And so Joe's philosophy from the beginning was pick the best people and go fast. And everything else kind of takes care of itself. So still, I understand as important as social media and marketing and everything is, ultimately, all these people want to win. They want to run up front. And if you're not doing that, you know, you're not going to get the best drivers. You're not going to get the best people. You're not going to get the best sponsors. So, again, we still focus everything we do on we feel like we're in this business to do well and to lead laps and it, that's what that's what we focus on and and that that comes from Joe on down and he's the most single most competitive human that I've ever met and so <laughs> we we do everything we do to win so wow so you mentioned that your role has expanded the competition yeah. side and I assume that means that um you know that that coincided with with JD having yeah. to step aside how how difficult has that been for you to not only sort of um take on those extra yeah. responsibilities but you know you're seeing you know your best friend go through this and you're trying yeah. to pick up the slack and do him proud at the same time no you know it, it's uh it's probably one of the hardest things i've ever you know experienced in my life and um and again it's uh I, my whole career it's funny i was in a i was in a really good position because when you work for a 
small family business, there's some comfort in that. You know, if you work for a big public company, there's a lot of politics and there's climbing the corporate ladder and worrying. And, you know, for many years, I kind of had the comfort of knowing, hey, I work for a family business. I'm kind of as sort of high up the rung as I'm ever going to get. And there was comfort in that. And I was very happy and and comfortable with my role of sort of um, just really being there as almost like a chief of staff for JD and for coach. And it was very comfortable for me. And, and, you know, I mean, candidly, I had many years where I thought, you know, maybe I'm not being, gosh, is there something else for me someday? You know, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm very comfortable in this role. I feel like I've done everything there is to do. And I had no idea that God was preparing me for something that I never would have in a million years fathomed. And so, um, yeah, when JD got sick, um, you know, I began to do a lot of kind of helping take up some of the slack for him while he was um, um, having treatment. And, um, you know, it was very unnatural for me at the beginning, again, partly because this is this is supposed to be my best friend's role, not my role. And, and I'm not a Gibbs. And so um, I would even if I was honest with you, I would say it's still not totally comfortable only because, you know, when I remember when I got named president so many people were congratulating me and stuff and deep down I knew look I it it meant a lot to me that they were congratulating me but they didn't realize you know this isn't um you know I would much rather still be the t-shirt guy or be the whatever because I want my best friend to have this role and you know I miss going to the racetrack with him and um you know um and so yeah the whole thing has been very difficult um and and I you know I have confidence as as I see from his family that you know as hard as things are, I really, again, it's very cliche. I do believe everything happens for a reason. I, I believe um, that everything filters through the Lord's hands. And, and so I have to trust that as much as I don't like this, um, um, we, we, you know, God's been faithful to this company. I said at the beginning, I mean, our company is just li- literally a miracle. The way that we've, year after year, you see um, how things have happened that would not have happened apart from the intervention of the Lord. And so as much as I wish this wasn't um, how things were supposed to go, it has, and we're just trying to do our best amidst it. And Joe has been, you know, I mean, Joe is, Joe's incredible. Uh, JD's wife and his kids are, I mean, they're literally, they're an amazing family. They are so strong. And um, like I said, JD's the toughest guy I know, and he's, he's, fighting it and he's battling it and uh but it's still going to the racetrack um again especially here we normally stay up in the norms condo and I, jd always stayed there with me and i just i miss having him at the racetrack um so it's it has been a tough journey i i feel very grateful to have been in the position to be able to help the family out um and again i the thing, last thing i'll say is you know you asked about thinking about jd yeah honestly when i make almost every decision that I make, I think about, all right, how, how would JD approach this? What would JD do? And I hope, I hope I'm, I'm treating things not really the way I want to do it. Cause it's not my company. I'm just, um, I may have a fancy title, but ultimately I'm just a steward of somebody else's company. I'm trying to do a good job. I'm trying to do again, what JD would, would do in a decision. And, um, you know, JD's, uh, I always joke, JD's excited and depressed are about an inch apart. You know, he was the most steady guy. Um, and so he didn't get emotional. He didn't get, and so you, you know, all this is, is one big crisis. There's like 10 crises a day and you got to just stay measured. And, um, and I try to think about that, you know, channel my JD. I was like, all right, all right, Dave, don't get, don't get too excited. You got to be smart here. You got to be calm. And, you know, JD would make the decision that's best for 
the people, you know, he wouldn't get emotional and he wouldn't do, he'd never made decisions based on um, emotion. He would do the right thing. And so anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's been, it's been tough, but it's been, again, I, I feel, um, again, it's, I go back to just saying, I think we've made the best out of the situation and we're, you know, I'm watching JD fight. And so that's all we can do is fight and keep trying to win and do things the right way, you know? Wow. Um, I, I don't know if this makes sense, but when something like this happens and, you know, I, I don't know if it would be different if, if it's another company, but I, I imagine it would be because just the family tie-ins that you have with them. I mean, does that sort of take it to another level for you as far as like your determination and your passion to help the company succeed because you've been put in this role where you're it's not only the company, it's it's your friends. You know what I mean? Oh no, it's it's a hundred percent. Look, no, that's. I would say I go to work every day working for a family that I love, and I want. Yes, no, that's that's a huge part of it. I'm I'm not sure if I'd still be doing with it if it was if it was just a nameless, faceless. You know, this, this isn't a job to me. I mean, this has been my my whole family has been raised. Um, I have a picture over my desk. And it's I have twin boys that are 21. They're at Chapel Hill, and I have a senior in high school. And I have a picture over my desk, and it's 22 straight years from the same spot on the porch of a house that we rent in Daytona every year of my 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 son's life. And it's them growing up, sitting on my lap in the same spot. You know, of course, wow. they're not on my lap anymore. But um, and it's one of my prized possessions. But it's an example of you know they've told me it doesn't matter where we work or what we do in our whole life we're taking off and we're going down for that picture even if you know and if the guy sells the house we told him you better tell the new people <laughs> there's going to be a family coming on the porch taking a picture and that's just an example and there's look there's a number of that's not the only race that's just an example of whether it's Miami whatever these traditions that I have in my family that we do um my family came with me to the California race and JD's boys came and, and Melissa, his wife, and we all went to Disneyland the day before Fontana. And, you know, it's it's who you're doing it with is is the thing. And, and it's not just now the Gibbs. It's it's the people that work for us that have become friends and you love their families. And I mean, you wake up. JD used to say that all the time is that what he thought about most when he woke up and when he went to bed was the families that are depending on us to make good decisions. And now it's 600 of them. So you talk about 600. That's not just 600 people. That's thousands of people because it's spouses, parents, kids, neighbors, aunts, uncles, that whatever we do, you know, and so when you make a decision, you know, sometimes people might criticize a decision. And and what I want to tell them is, let me tell you, we care. (laughs) We love that you're passionate about it. Just think about us because we've got to make good decisions because the last thing we want to do is do something that's not smart for all those people. And so I love working with a family that I know cares. I mean, I can tell you, I can see, I'm in the meetings when Joe is laboring over how do I make the right decision. I can tell you that every Monday for 26 years, we have a little group that gets together and prays for the whole company every week, and Joe Gibbs leads it, and he's praying for people by name at the company. If you've got something going on with your family or whatever, and so, and I think to myself, where else am I going to go where people care like that? You know what I mean? I, I, I would hate to be at a company where you're just some number. You're a nameless, faceless, but we really have a family. Again, it's a it's a 600 family family, which is a lot different than it was in the early days, but as best we can, that culture has stayed there where Joe really cares about the people. And um, 
again, we want to win. We want to take care of our people, um, and uh, it's a it's it is a special place. Again, it's it can be str- it's a it's a stressful place a lot. It's a stressful business, but it's a great special place to be a part of. And you know, um, I'm again, I'm just I'm grateful that I'm a that I'm a part of it. Wow, quite a yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm really grateful you you decided share this with us because that's it's really cool for people to hear this i think so thank you so much for taking all the time to do that yeah well hey thanks jeff it's i, I enjoy reading these every week so hopefully uh hopefully maybe somebody will be encouraged by some of some of that story so for sure thank you yeah all right thanks all right everybody so there you have it really cool guy to sit down and talk to there clearly he's a devoted and loyal guy to the gibbs family it sounds like they are really lucky to have him and i'm lucky as well that he was willing to sit and tell his story if you enjoy the How I Got Here series of the podcast, the next one coming up is scheduled to be with Kyle Novak, and he is actually the race director for the IndyCar series. So I actually got to talk to the race director for the IndyCar series of how he got to where he is and his path that led him to that point. He has a fascinating backstory. So I talked to him recently at Long Beach. Hopefully you'll enjoy that one. That comes out next Thursday. And then before that, coming out Tuesday, there's going to be a 12 questions with Jimmy Johnson. So hopefully you will stay tuned for that one as well. Always appreciate any feedback you guys can give on the podcast. And of course, any ratings on iTunes helps the cause, helps to get noticed by more people. And if you can take the time to do that, that would be greatly appreciated. Thanks as always for all the support. Definitely do not take that for granted. And I am very appreciative of everybody who listens to this. It's uh, really cool when I'm at a tweet up or something and somebody comes up to me and says, oh, man, I listen to your podcast while mowing the grass or I listen to your podcast on the commute to work. Uh, that really makes me feel good. And it's nice to know people are out there listening. So thank you for that. Makes me want to work harder to make sure that the podcasts stay at a high level so that you guys are enjoying them. And that will be the mission for the rest of the season. So until next time. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.